0: Listen, Donnie Moore is a chaplain for the Oakland A's, but more than that, he's an evangelist that travels all over the United States and schools, does our youth camps, and just for many, many years, many of our youth have gone, and this is a precious man of God. I don't know of any other man of God that has a bigger heart for the Lord and a bigger heart of love. So I really want you to give it up for Brother Donnie today. Come on, let's give it up. Let's bring the house down. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. What an honor to be here. What an honor to be here. You may be seated and check this out. White boy's got some soul here. I had enough of Hands okay. You know, it's just like someone was trying to identify class. You know, I thought about Derek Jeter, the way he takes the field. I thought about the flick of a quarterback's wrist, um, the gaze and walk of a a pitcher off the field as he tips his hat to the fans. Class. You know, you don't know how to define it, but you know it when you see it. And, And that's how it is, too, even with music and the anointing whether it's a song being sung on The Voice or in a church. Thank God for people that have those gifts that God has given them. God hasn't given me the ability to sing like that. I appreciate that gift. I was in a church recently, and, um, you know, when you have Tom and the team come up at the end, and, you know, you're doing your invitation and ministering to folks, I mean, no, it's important. It really is. It's a big part of the service beforehand to lead us into worship, but at the end, man, that's so key to have that gift. I was in a church recently and man I tell you they came up to help me at the end and they didn't help me. The lady, she could not sing. She oh ooh ooh mm. So if you're an all black church in Detroit where I preach many times, they'll let you know if you're good, they'll let you know if you're bad. They they will let you know. This predominantly a white church, people were trying to act really like it was good and they weren't good. She I preached on my message was, you know, hungering after God. And she came up to the mic and she started singing more of you. And then when she sung it, I'm I'm just trying to be nice as I can, but it was horrible. It was More of you. More of you Try to give an altar call with that. Go ahead. I didn't know what to do. I was struggling. I I didn't know what to do. And I thought, oh, what am I gonna I'm gonna get people saved? Some of you look, oh Donnie, just you know, you should have just Yes, I should have prayed, but I wanted to leave. I wanted to leave. I didn't know what to do, but I had to Get somebody saved. And um, I, I wanted to give a good altar call, and people responded. And all of a sudden, this guy got out of the audience, just walked up on the stage, grabbed the mic next to her. And she was still singing, More of You. And he's like, More of You. More of You. And I went, Thank you. I didn't say it out loud, but I thought it. I thought it. I thought it. But I didn't say it. I just was like, and they turned her mic down and he just kept singing. It was it was amazing. Man, after the service, I made a beeline to that guy. I said, brother, thank you. Thank you. I said, You saved me. I said, I, I couldn't take much more. And he, he looked at me so sincerely and he goes, Yeah, he goes, That's my mom. Man, you ever You ever say something that came out of your mouth and you come back to Papa? Those words? Pastor teaches you about words? I'm not a singer, though. I'm a motivator. That's what I like. I'm a motivator. Man, I spoke to a a midget basketball team. I told them they could all dunk. I I had them believing before the the game started. They were all touching the net. But they... Oh, little people. You're not supposed to say midget. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you (laughs) if you're... But I, I had the privilege a few years back uh, for the first time going to the locker room and speaking to the Oakland A's before a big playoff game. We were playing Boston. Man, I was so fired up. I went in the locker room. All the players were there, and I'm ripping license plates, and we're blowing up hot water balls and bending steel bars, breaking bats, and I did the giant killer. Oh, if you're going to kill a giant, you got to have a cause. If you're going to kill a giant you got to have a proven experience. We've won in the past. When you walk out there today, guys, and you dig in that batter's box, look at those flags out there in left field. You'll see world champions 73 and 74 and 72. And also 1989, we've been world champions. We have made the pl- Ah, we have a proven experience. And we have weapons. We've got Tim Hudson. I'm looking over there. Oh, the Giants got Tim Hudson now. But we had <laughs> Tim Hudson. We had the big three. I said, We got Eric's. We got weapons. Man, I was so fired up. The guys were fired up. They were excited. And then there's two doors. And you, you open those doors and you go down the tunnel out into the field. And so I went over there and I got to my last point. I had a huge phone book. I said, Guys, we have a cause. We have proven experience. We've won in the past. I said, and we have the weapons. I said, we're going to go right now. We're going to kill the giant. we got to not just knock the giant down. we got to cut his head off. And I took this huge phone book. I mean, I got so fired up. I ripped the phone book. Boom! I kicked the doors open like, who am I? I'm the team chaplain. And, I, and then I, I yelled down the tunnel. Boston Red Sox, here come the American West champion, Oakland A's. And I just threw the phone book down the tunnel. Guys all got up. They, was, ah, 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 and they ran down the tunnel out into the field. And the manager walks over to me and goes, What are you doing? I looked at him and said, I'm motivating him. He said, The game is not for five hours. I'm a motivator. I don't do a lot of things well, but I try to motivate. And tonight I want to motivate you. I want you to come out. I'm going to be preaching on the Father, Son, and what's his name? I really am. I'm going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to miss it. I promise you, if you come tonight, you'll be glad you did. It's going to help you in your walk with God. You know, the producer Mark Burnett of The Voice... He's famous uh, for the Bible series. Him and his wife are wonderful Christians. Also, he uh, produced in uh, the movie that was released, Son of God. He founded The Preliminist, The Survivor. And The Voice has been a, a big success, obviously, because, of, in my opinion, a great staff of talent scouts that have found amazing voices in the tough tenements of Watson, L.A., and the quiet bedrooms of Atlanta, Georgia, and also in the sun-kissed beaches of Florida. The format is a winner. The initial suspense of just getting a chair to turn, it's riveting. I mean, you look at that guy with his little turned up hat, and you know, he's 37 years old, has three kids. He part-time tutors kids and there's his moment he, he walks out there and he just kills it and and you notice when the chairs turn it says on the bottom of the chairs I want you it's riveting then there's the battlegrounds the knockout rounds the minute, minute, uh, uh, the mentoring by celebrity coaches and their iconic friends but one of the most successful strategies of the voice It's the choosing of superstar coaches with their contagious energy and and the way they play off one another. There's Blake. There's no music like country music Shelton. And then there's my hips don't lie, Shakira. You got Christina, I can hit any note, Aguilera. Adam, rock and roll Levin. And you got CeeLo, soul man green. And then you got nobody can dance like Usher. What has been obvious to all of us viewers is each coach's distinct styles and genre of music plays heavily and whether or not they turn their chair. I was watching this show just a a few months back with my mother. I was up visiting her in Sonora, and I was thinking, what kind of voice would turn the Lord's chair? What kind of voice would move God? And so for the next few moments, I want to speak to you on the subject the voice that turns god's chair the voice that turns god's chair let's pray father help in jesus name amen how I many know if i hadn't prayed before i got here there's no use me praying a long prayer right now to impress you this morning i'm like young people just keep it real i'm just keeping it real i'm keeping it real Keeping it real I want to say, uh, out at the table, by the way, um, we have some of our resources, too, just to let you know. Getting Over It is an important message on how to forgive people when they hurt you. The Fifth Sparrow, I talk about not just what is rejection, but how to deal with rejection. And then the message Beyond the Storm is, is one of my favorites. I talk about what I went through in 208. This one here is a DVD called Get Out of the Boat. And uh, many of the young people uh, here have heard me preach that sometimes. So bring that camp sometime another. And I see you were with child, Reuben. You guys did well. You got married, and I come back, and now you have a child in your tummy. And. It's amazing what camp does to people. (laughs) Really. Thank God for camp. People meet at our camps, they get married in our camps. Hope they don't get pregnant at our camps, but uh, <laughs> I want to talk about the voice that turns God's chair. I want to say they got married and then they got pregnant for anybody that's visiting today or somebody that's going to start a rumor. I just want to clear all that up right now. <laughs> the first voice I want to talk about is the voice of the persistent, the voice of the persistent seeker. The Bible tells us in Luke 11 and 8, I tell you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Amazing, isn't it, that the Lord states in this parable there are certain times when persistence moves him even more than a friend. My, my boy, DJ, he's 17 now, and I, I, I can't believe he's six foot. He played baseball this year on the varsity. He was a junior. I, I was so, because he hadn't played since he was 10. And he came to me, and said, Dad, I want to go out for baseball. And right away, I thought, you're going to get caught. You haven't played since you're 10. And then my second thing was, uh, he's not going to probably get to play a lot. You know, this is high school. This is varsity. He hasn't played since he was 10. He likes playing the guitar and, and into arts. But now he decides he's going to play baseball. His sisters, both of them, were beasts. I mean, they played softball competitively. And he just hadn't been his deal, so I've never pushed him. But now he wants to play baseball. And I started thinking, well, you know, first thing he probably... I mean, most, mostly he goes out, and he's a junior, and he gets cut. Doesn't make the team. I so, thought, well, that might, might be good for him. Well, I suppose he, you know, makes a team, but he doesn't play that much. Well, then I started thinking, I'm a motivator. I, I, I got to motivate him. This is what he wants to do. I'm going to motivate him. And I had to loosen my arm up. I'm out there playing catch with him. And we're working out. And, you know, he made the team. And he got the split time in left field. It was so good for him. And the camaraderie. I, I just love being around him because he makes me laugh. I mean, he's made me laugh since the time. He was just a little guy. I remember when he was, he was about three and he was talking back to his mom. And I just knelt down. And I grabbed him by his shirt and I pulled him up. And I go, hey. I said, stop talking back to your mother. And uh, he just looked up at me and he goes, Excuse me, but you're wrinkling my shirt. (laughs) Oh, sorry. And then, I'll I'll never forget, uh, it it was amazing. He was maybe four, and uh, we we were driving down the street there in Stockton, California, Pacific Avenue, and he said to me... Uh, hey, Dad, I want to go to McDonald's. And I said, uh, son, uh, we're not going to go to McDonald's today. Dad, I don't want to go to McDonald's. I said, no, we're not going to McDonald's. Dad, I want to go to McDonald's. If you mention McDonald's one more time, I'm not taking you for three years to McDonald's. <laughs> Silence in the back seat for maybe another two to three minutes, and all of a sudden I hear... Oh, McDonald had a fun. <laughs> I, I, I just pulled in the McDonald's and uh, I just said, whatever you want, man, whatever you want. I'm getting a, I said, I'm going to get a big Mac. I said, whatever you want, order it. He won. Persistence. The Bible says in Luke 11:10, Jesus reaffirms his love for the voice of the persistent seeker. Monologue, one of the most familiar scriptures. He makes it clear that he loves the voice of the persistent seeker. The Bible says, ask, seek, knock. The guarantee? It's going to turn his chair. We we seek. A persistent seeker is never casual about engaging God's presence and favor. I found an interesting story the other day about persistence. It says, for six grueling months, he tunneled through the granite limestone and shell, digging his way into the inner heart of the mountain. For every outward sign, the color of the streams and the creeks below point their geological fingers to places here in the mountain, hidden in the deeper intercesses, contained the precious gold-bearing quartz. After long months of drudgery and sacrifice, and struggle had yielded not even a trace of the long-sought-forth metal. So in discouragement, the prospector buried his pick, his candles... His dynamite at the extreme end of the tunnel and abandoned his dream in disappointment. Years passed with amazing swiftness. The Eastern Mining Company, after finding that the claim had been abandoned, bought the land and reopened it. Soon the work began. The debris was cleared away. The fallen rock was removed. and At the end of the tunnel, they reached and they found the rusty remains of the prospector's pick. The time-worn form of the candles and the dynamite was uncovered. The work of escalation began, and immediately six inches further on, the gold was discovered. This mine in northern California proved to be one of the richest discoveries since the early days of the gold rush in this state. Six inches on, further was the gold. Six inches. The tragedy, I wrote this, of the lost six inches. When fatalism tugged at the heart and fear said, quit, there's no way. The candles were buried six inches too soon. Faith folded its tent from the gold. Determination accepted defeat six inches before the fortune was found. Discouragement sounded retreat in the face of the raging battle with only six inches of limestone and shell separated him from the prize. Persistence. Pushing, not quitting, going on. You know, you have no right to anything you have not pursued. The proof of desire is pursuit. I really believe that Peter, James, and John, they were always there when Jesus had a big moment. But you know what? Those guys, Jesus could not shake them. They understood that Jesus loved all of them the same. He had chosen all of them. But there was something about those guys they just kept pursuing. They they wanted to be near him. The proof of desire is pursuit. That's why your feelings are so important. I know we say walk by faith, but not by sight. But your feelings decide your focus. Write that down. Your feelings decide your focus. That's why every year it's a Super Bowl when those ads come on, it's a big deal. Why? because they're trying to get your feelings they don't do a beer commercial they show the horse and a puppy dog remember that relationship this year everybody was watching that because they're trying to get your feelings because once they get your feelings your focus and once they get your focus out of your focus comes your desires then comes your decisions it's so important for us to have right focus, it's important for you to protect your focus. One thing I found about great athletes is they protect their focus. I asked a young pitcher on our team uh, just a week ago, Sonny Gray. I said, "Sonny, I said, you have tremendous focus for a 24-year-old man." I said, "Whether I'm doing a motivational talk at spring training, I watch you. You're locked in. I watch your approach before the game. I said, "Why are you so focused at a 24-year-old man, as a 24-year-old man?" He said, Donnie, he said, my daddy died in an automobile accident when I was in high school. My coach told me, you got a mom and two sisters. You're going to have to grow up. Everything's going to change as far as your focus. He said, from that moment on, he said, I decided I was going to be a big league player to take care of my mama and my two sisters. He said, that was my goal since the time I was a little boy. His focus changed, and then out of his focus came his desire his desire became his decisions so if you want to change something in your life change your focus protect your focus it's very important to have focus when you focus you look you pursue how many know little binoculars never see big picture you, you got to see big and then you take that big and you focus in and then you begin to take steps toward what you're going to do i'll say it again You have no right to anything you have not pursued. The proof of desire is pursuit. Secondly, the voice of the brokenhearted. The voice of the brokenhearted. I was asked um, to speak at a youth convention in um, Southern California. And I went down and I spoke for the Church of God. And after the convention, I stayed over and preached at a church. They call it Recovery Church. And I got there early because I wanted to meet the pastor. And it's called his place. It's right out there in Huntington. It's a, it's a church right across the street from a park. It's a very rough area, inner city. I got there early enough to see the first individual show up. It was a lady on a Harley. And it wasn't the pastor, but uh, it was uh, a lady on a Harley. And then I was watching some folks show up like skinheads. And then I saw gang members, and then I saw people that were from every walk of life, from hurting, broken backgrounds. And the pastor came over, greeted me, and he said, I want to show you around. And so we were walking around, and he said, that's our smoking section. And right now, every religious spirit in me rose up, smoking section. He said, Donnie, the people that come here, he said, the least problem they have is smoking. He said, and if they'll hide that from me, he said, I don't know what else they're going to hide. He said, I do not have to hide anything. He said, we're open here. He says, now when they get saved and they begin to walk out this journey, God will deal with those areas of their life. He said, um, he said we are a church that loves everybody. He said, you're going to see more ink today and you've seen in any tattoo parlor And I did do a a service one time where they're having a, in the hotel, a tattoo convention. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, but they were tattooing everywhere, in the lobby, outside, inside. I wanted to get a tattoo. I don't have a tattoo, but I thought about getting one that day because everyone had one but me. The clerk, when I checked in, he had been fully sleeved that day. They tattooed the, the, the maids. Anybody that moved was getting a tattoo. It was crazy. And so um he said you're going to see more ink than you've ever seen and and that i did that day but i'll tell you what i saw i saw a pastor for 28 years reaching out to the drug addict to the broken to the hurting and I, I preached my message that i preached here last time on faith and i talked about how faith fights fear feelings faith fights fact and lastly faith fights fatalism and i talked about not giving up and not quitting And those people they just poured to the altars and i was down there praying for people And the pastor said, pray for Ben. That's Ben right there. He said, Ben has had a a year where he has been drug-free. But last week, Ben fell off the wagon. He said, Ben really loves God. You know, so much in our terminology in the church it would be, well, Ben, if you loved God, you wouldn't have fell off the wagon. Bless God. I don't know if I've ever heard a pastor say that. Ben... He really loves God. He messed up last week. Nobody felt worse than Ben about his failure. He didn't need me or anybody else to tell him because the devil and Ben himself was doing a pretty good job of beating him up. So I knelt down next to Ben and I began to pray for him. I began to weep. I was looking at all the people in the church. Some were ex-prostitutes and that day some of the ex-prostitutes brought their friends that were turning tricks that weekend. I watched, as I looked over these people, a lot just broken with life's issues. And I think about Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is close to the broken heart. He saves those that are crushed in spirit. When Jesus walked in the synagogue in his hometown and he asked for the book of Isaiah, it wasn't unusual. When he read the passage we know is Isaiah 61. It wasn't unfamiliar. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for He's anointing me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. But that was very unusual. And most familiar is when Jesus, the local cabinet maker in the town, the kid that learned to read right beside those in the very synagogue with the other boys in the village, when this scandalous illegitimate son of Mary and Joseph looked at those listening and declared, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing and sat down. That was unfamiliar. But the voices that would move the Messiah, the brokenhearted, would always be at the top of his list. The Bible says multitudes followed him. According to some of the historians, it could have been 20,000 or more at a time. But the masses had to stop when Jesus heard the sound of brokenness. Lying Bartimaeus turned his chair. The woman that crawled through the crowd to touch him. So did the broken-hearted mom and her son's funeral procession. The ten lepers turned his chair. The weeping of Mary and Martha at Lazarus' grave. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But when he saw Mary and Martha crying, he identified with them. The shortest verse in the Bible is found there in John chapter 11. Jesus wept. The reason he wept is he saw them weeping. And when he saw them weeping, it did something to him. I heard a preacher say on television last week, Jesus is not moved by your pain. He's not moved by your need. He's only moved by faith. And I disagree with that. Because what is in your heart that moves you to want to reach out in the city, to feed the poor, the hungry, to heal the sick, for you monthly, this church, to... Support us so we can go into the schools and reach out to students. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God in you that moves you to want to help people. John chapter 8. The woman is brought to him in shame. Do you see her her eyes darting? Her clothes torn and tattered. This is the woman caught in adultery. The very act. And Jesus, you know the story. He just knelt down. He called her woman, Ishai. It's the same word in the Hebrew that he used in the New Testament where he referred to his own mother. He called her woman. He gave her a sense of dignity. He lifted her shame, her pain. Oh, don't forget, Donnie. He told her, go and sin no more, even taken out of context. When he told her, go now and leave your life of sin, he wasn't giving her rules to live by. He was giving her freedom to live in. What he said, he said, this presence, this encounter that we had just had, that we have just experienced, walk in that. You can walk in that with me. But if you go out and you go back and do things that you did before, you're going to end up where you were before, in guilt, in shame. Walk with me. Serve me. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That woman turned his chair on resurrection morning. Mary, devastated by the horror of watching Jesus crucified, turned his chair chair a broken heart and a crushed spirit can render you helpless in almost every area of your life you may feel you can't even catch your breath much less catch a break you can't perform to your usual level of efficiency you feel like you're always last in line you wonder if god even hears the sound of your voice at all there's a lot of pain on the earth today There's a lot of people hurting today. You ever hurt so much? You ever been in so much pain that you can't even speak? That you can't even articulate the hurt that you're feeling inside? You feel that God doesn't even hear you. But the Lord makes it clear in your time of brokenness. He finds your voice irresistible. He will turn his chair every time for the broken hearted. He hears you. He hears you. The third voice is the voice of what I call honest humility. In Mark 9 and 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. There's a man who had probably never laid eyes on Jesus until this moment. He brings his demonized, handicapped son to Jesus. He says, if you can, please hear my boy. Heal my boy if you can. Would you do that for me? Jesus startles the man with his response, if I can. Now the crowd, of course, expected Jesus to follow the almost mocking repetition of the man's words with another obvious question. Do you know who I am? That's what I would think would happen. He, first of all, is asked to heal the boy. And Jesus says, if I can, the natural next thing that Jesus was going to say to him, in my mind's view, is, you know who I am? But he doesn't. Instead, Jesus redirects the attention of the man. He says, all things are possible to him that believes. And the man was stunned, but desperate. He said, Lord, I believe. Then the Lord heard the sound of the voice that moves him every time. The man in honest humility. Lord, help my unbelief. I mean, no, you, you, you can believe in your heart. And sometimes have trouble with your head. You, you can believe with your heart, but you're, you're battling in this mind. Lord, help me to believe. I know who you are. I know what you can do. But Lord, help my unbelief. I appreciate the honesty of this man. I was <clears throat> two years ago asked to go to a charter school. A friend of mine uh, in Las Vegas, his church, had gone through quite a trans, I mean, transference of, of the community and what's happened there. Uh, right off the strip there in Vegas, the 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 church is is basically has changed. And the strip right there, I mean, right across the strip, they've moved in where they have. I just know how to tell you guys other than that. I mean, they got the naughty boutique with six women giving you the middle finger when you drive by. Next to that is the gay bathhouse. Next to that is the swingers club. This is this is all right there. And and so a lot of folks moved out as churches began to just really go down. And I was there a couple of years ago. I said, You got a choice. You can resign or leave, or you can change the way you do things and really start reaching out here. The Christian school had completely uh, dissolved, there was nothing there. It's just a a gymnasium, and um, it's just empty. So he started on Saturday a feeding program. They feed 250 homeless people a hot meal on Saturday. He went to the doctors in the community and they offer on Saturday also a free medical clinic. They pray over everybody that comes to the clinic and then they treat them. That school that was now dead through his assistant pastor, they went out and they started a charter school. 300 kids. Now go to the charter school. Eighty-five percent of those kids walk to school. Many of them from the neighborhoods will step across dead bodies on the way to school. People that have overdosed. The pain is insurmountable. It's, it's an area, but in the middle of it now, this church is beginning to thrive. They're reaching, the hurting. I told them, if you will reach the ones nobody wants, God will give you the ones everybody wants. And some people have got the vision and have come in the church with some money. And they said, we want to help you. And the church is flourishing, but they're reaching the broken heart. They're reaching the hurting. So the principal of the charter school, now it's not a Christian school. It's there on the campus. Um, They're getting money through the city, literally for the charter school, which now has kept the doors open to the church. So the church is beginning to grow. Thank God. And so they went to the principal last year and they said, we'd like Tony Moore to come. Well, is he going to preach? What is he going to do? No, he's going to come as he's doing an assembly. He's going to affect the students in this school. So I went last year. Uh, it was actually two years ago for the first time. And there I met a young lady that really impacted my life and caused me to realize what I do and why I keep doing it. Her name is Hilda. Hilda was uh, eight years old when both her drug addict parents packed everything up in the house, loaded it into a car, a trailer, and drove off and left her at the house at eight years old by herself. They left her the way you would leave a pet. They, some of the neighbors called the police, child protective came in, they put her in the foster care system, a lot of tragedy, a lot of pain in her young life. They found her biological mother, and obviously she didn't want anything to do with her. No one wanted anything to do with her, and then they found her grandmother. Her grandmother lives in Las Vegas. So they shipped her to leave the area she was living on an airplane to Las Vegas and not knowing anybody and never meeting her grandmother for the first time. So I do the school that chartered two years ago at the end of the assembly, Hilda comes to me and she said, "Um, can I talk with you? And I said, you're sure. And so those bleachers that you're seeing behind, her and I sat on those bleachers. And she shared with me her story and her pain. You're talking about wanting to believe in God, but life had so beat her up. She just looked up at me in honest humility and said, I want to believe in God. I want to believe in something other than myself. And we, we talked, and I said, you know, I said, God, he has a purpose for your life. I said, you're going to do something great with your life. And her eyes just brightened. Well, to make a long story short, I told her, I said, listen, after we had been there in Vegas for three days, I said, I'm going to come back before you graduate and speak. I said, I'll see you. And so about three months ago, the pastor called me and said, the principal said that she wants you back. The kids really need you back. So I called Darwin Benjamin. Some of you know Darwin. I said, Darwin, I said I want you to go to Las Vegas with me. So we went to Las Vegas. And um, I'm standing there. And that's her seeing me for the first time. And I didn't see her. And whoever took that picture, just her face. I turned. And when I turned, she said, you kept your word. And I said, I told you I was going to come back. She's graduating here in another week from high school. She's going to go out be a social worker, she told me. She loves Jesus. And she says, I'm going to help other kids, darling, the way you help me. Um, I, I ripped a license plate that day. And, and then, and then um, <laughs> you know, she, she walked up to me and she said... Can I have those gloves? Although they were Brandon Moss's gloves, I took them off immediately. And you have that other slide up there. I want you to see this. She's got those gloves that I told her. You put those gloves on and work hard, girl. There's nothing that you can't do. You know, Pastor Mark, thank you. Congregation, thank you. They couldn't pay me. They couldn't pay for me to go to Las Vegas. But because you guys give every month. That's what I get to see. When you see the honest humility, just saying, she didn't want a hand out. She just needed a hand. She just needed someone to believe in her. When your mother and father leaves you in a house at eight years old, and then to see the smile on her face, a dream in her heart, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus, and there's just something about when people cry out. Jesus talked about two men one day. One, he prayed real eloquently and self righteous, and oh, he ended his prayer by saying, "I'm so thankful I'm not like this sinner," you know, like this. And the other man, he said, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. The Lord said, he turned his chair for one of them that day. And the second man, he left there justified. Let me come to my last chair. The last chair, of course, the first is the persistent. The broken heart is the second. The third is the honest humility. And the fourth is the voice of unwavering faith. Hebrews 11:6 says, as you can see, the word of God makes it very clear. The Lord loves a variety of voices, but the Word says here, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to Him must believe that He is, and He, what? Is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Persistent. Those with a broken heart. Those with honest humility. There's something about humility that attracts us all. Some of you pretty women, thank God you're pretty. But when you're pretty, help somebody else. Don't walk around. Nothing more horrible than a pretty, arrogant woman. I mean, acid could fall on your face and your nose could be up by your eyelids. You 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 you're too pretty to act like that. Smart men, use your wisdom, use your, your strength and abilities to help people tell you uh, they put on Facebook um, last week my daughter on my birthday um, last uh, week I turned 57 I benched 505 pounds for two reps and I have had so many people um, write me and say man how do I do that and work out it's like okay if you're strong I mean don't just lift weights you use your strength to touch somebody's life and I think about The feats of strength. Many of you know all the years that I've ripped license plates and blown up hot water bottles and ripped phone books. And I don't like the way you do that. I'm not into that. That's flesh. Well, the lady said, I don't like the way you do it. And I said, well, how are you doing it? She said, I'm not doing it. I said, I like the way I'm doing it a lot better than the way you're not doing it. Well, you've been in the way as long as I've been in the way. You'll cool off. Well, that's over 30 years ago. That's her problem. She's been in the way. I decided, you know what? I'm going to just let God use the abilities and the strengths he's given me to stand before over 7 million teenagers. We just did the numbers. We have run 27,000 kids through our camps. And you guys have been a big part of that. It breaks you. It humbles you. Faith. Faith not only moves mountains, but faith moves the heart of God. Remember the doctors told Cindy and I, I told you the story of when we got pregnant. I told you the uh, whole story of the labor room last time, and you guys were laughing, but the, the thing that was really funny is that when you pray, you pray, and 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 you believe, and you stand, and there's no answer. Because of my steroid use, when I got saved, the doctors told us we'd never have children. So we prayed for a baby. We stood on the Word, and after one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years, seven years, every night, standing, believing, it's like, God... Talking about persistent it's me again, Donnie, this baby thing. Uh, We're going to have a baby. And see, the problem is, is with a lot of times in this situation, it's women, her womb's closed for whatever reason. But the problem was not my wife, it was me. And the devil, you know, I'd go out and I'd reach out to young people and he would say, yeah, those are your youth, you're never going to have a child. God doesn't love you. Look at all you're doing for him. And so we started looking into adoption, because I'm all for adoption. I wanted to adopt, but that wasn't even working out, and we didn't have the funds back then. We were just trying to make it and believe God. I was driving down the street one day, and Darwin was sitting next to me. If you want to know where that message faith came out of, it's different points in my life. The last point of that message I preached last time here was faith fights fatalism. And that was the last point in that message because of what I went through in 208. But faith fights facts was this point. I'm driving down the street and Darren goes, what are you going to do? And I said, faith fights facts. I know what the doctor said. I know what medical science says. But we're going to have a baby. Because my faith fights facts. And Darren goes, I just need to say that. Eight and a half years, Cindy comes to me. She says, Donnie, I'm late. And she weren't talking about being late for work. <laughs> if you're too young to get that, ask your mother later. <laughs> she said, I'm late. I said, well, okay, what do you want me to do? She said, go get a home pregnancy test. I didn't even know what a home pregnancy test was. And then, I don't know why when you go to get something like this, there's always a woman working. You know what I mean? There's always one. And there in Stockton, where, where I live, you know, I've done the school so many years. People know who I am, and now I'm going to the store, been praying eight and a half years, and i get to get a home pregnancy test, and I know somebody in that store. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, you ever, if I fell into any sin, I'd get caught quick i'm serious i mean everywhere i I went to your camp i'm just standing there outside of a store just waiting for my wife and she'd gone down the street and someone pulls up and i was waiting on the corners of liquor store right here and i'm like i know you i think i'm just i weren't in there i was just here my wife just huh it's crazy I check out of the hotel, make sure there's no movies. Even if I didn't even turn the movie channel, you never know. Is there anything on there? You're always watching. Because people, I go to a restaurant. And someone goes, hey, I went to your camp. Uh, just uh, wanted you to know. I mean, I preached open air at Stanislaus State when they had this huge, huge, huge beer bash. I'm up there doing the feats of strength, and it got crazy. I mean, they had brain damage, the group before me. They had some comedian, vile. I mean, this guy was vile. He was sick. He was, and, and I followed them. I preached in some crazy places. I was breaking the bricks, and I was, I was so fired up, I did a stage dive. I dove on all the fraternity guys. They were out there acting like they were back. I said, I'm going to dive on top of them. They think Christians are... I shared my testimony, preached the gospel, and dove on the whole front row. Yeah. And you know what? They were pouring beer on me, and I, I stood up and I, I reeked a beer, and I thought, "Oh my God! The superintendent of the assemblies of God came here. They take my license right now." <laughs> I was walking through the crowd, and everybody in the crowd was like putting their beers behind them. Yeah. And the ones putting their beer behind, they've been to our camp sometime, and they're like, "Hey, it's Donnie! Oh God, he's here! here. He's here!" I'm walking through. Hey, it's good to see you. See you there. Oh no, God, it's him! It's Donnie. He's, he's here on my campus. I got two beers. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So, so I, I'm there and, and I'm at the store and I, I go over and I said, Ma'am, I said, could you, which one of these here are the, where are the home pregnancy I can't find anything in the store. I feel like I feel so bad sometimes because I have to ask people to find the, where are the home pregnancy tests? Where are they? And there's always uh, someone that's loud. I'm not saying she had a big mouth. Home pregnancy tests are right over here. They're on row 13. Mary, isn't that right? Mary, where, where are the home pregnancy tests? Aren't they here on 13? <laughs> yes, they're on 13. Everybody in the store. I'm here to get a home pregnancy test. My name is Donnie Moore. We've been praying eight and a half years. I'm getting a home pregnancy test. Tell everyone, I hope we're pregnant. For not pray. So anyway, I get the home pregnancy test. I'm walking up to the counter. I'm telling kind of like, crazy. everybody knows. And then I put it on the counter. So help me. The guy is standing behind me. He grabs the microphone. This is a true story. I'm not making it up. Price check. Number nine, home pregnancy. (laughs) I I grab the microphone. I grab the microphone. I go, no! I'll pay $30! (laughs) So I get the home pregnancy test. I get home. I go, take it. She goes. You can't take it till morning. <laughs> what do you mean? Why? Do you... I don't know. Tell me later, later. I don't know why you have to wait till morning. Take it now. No, morning. So I lay there in bed all night, <laughs> wide awake. Hey, I've waited half and a, eight and a half years. I can wait in a, anyway. Next morning she comes out of the bathroom. I wait, and she goes, "Well, Donnie, I." Uh, I think I might. Uh, I'm kind of. Uh, what? I'm kind of pregnant. What? You can't be kind of pregnant. You're either pregnant or not. And she goes, Donnie, would you, would you get another one? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? no, get another one. I go, okay. I said, I'm going to go get another one. I said, but you're coming with me. She goes, all right. She goes, I'll go with you. So we we go in the store, and um, there's a magazine rack, and she goes, Donnie, I'm going to wait here next to the magazine rack. I go, what? I'm going to wait here next to the magazine rack. I go, what are you doing that for? She goes, I shop here. (laughs) I was here yesterday. She goes, they know me. I go, they know me. Aisle 13. Mary knows me. Karen knows me. Bill at the checkout knows me. Everybody knows me. They know I... Go ahead. Stay right here at the magazine rack. Look at that one on... Flowers and gardening. I will go get this. I'm going to tell you something right now, guys. You can go to all the seminars, you can read all the books. Reuben, you'll never understand women. I'll tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. God made him while we were asleep. No, Adam, this is a true story. Adam went to sleep single, woke up married. True. Sabrina went to camp, came home, got married, got pregnant. Anyway, I... <laughs> All these girls, I don't want to go to Donnie Moore's camp. I might get pregnant. That's not what I said. Anyway, so, so I get the other one. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. I go up there, same guy at the checkout. I put it down. and They they're on sale. I thought I'd get a couple. I came back today and here, just, she's over there at the magazine rack. And No more price check, just here, a home pregnancy test. We get home, Cindy takes it the next day, and then, three days later, she takes a blood test, and we... Uh, Nine months later, have a little girl, and then uh, we stand in faith, and two years later, we get pregnant, and um, we have another girl. And then she gets pregnant again, and we lose one. Sometimes people don't like to tell that part, But all of us have had something, a setback, or I realize at this point in my life, I'm going to tell it all. Not just all the good stuff. Stuff that hurts sometimes. Not hurt. And then, four and six. Would you come, Tom? i got to wrap this up. Because I want you to come back tonight. And I realize the only thing between you and a good lunch right now is me. <laughs> <laughs> and if the crowd is really thin, I'm going to be speaking from down here tonight. So by faith I'm going to go back up here because you guys are all going to come back tonight and <laughs> so they at 6 and 4 Brookie and Anna start praying for a little brother daddy we, we want to have a little brother I said really so every night I would put those two little girls down and listen to, them to pray for a brother Man, they prayed in faith. A year went by. And Brookie just looked at me and she said, Daddy, she said, I'm getting frustrated. She said, I prayed a year and we don't have a brother. And I looked at her and I said, Brookie, Mommy and I prayed for you for eight and a half years. And she looked at me with a smile and she said, eight and a half years? I said, yep. I prayed for you, believed for you for eight and a half years. And she said, okay, daddy, let's keep praying. Cindy got pregnant. And one of my fondest memories, after my boy DJ was born, I walked out in the hallway and those two little girls come running in that hospital toward me, "What do we have, Daddy? What do we have?" I said, "Come on in." And they walked in the room, and little DJ's laying there just butt naked, just laying there in that little The innocence of children. they look over. Little Anna was just standing on her tiptoes and Brooke a little taller. she goes, Anna goes. She turned to her sister, she goes, he has a hose. <laughs> and, and then Brooke, older sister, goes, yep. And when you change her diaper, they can squirt you. And I'm going to tell you, the first time I've changed girls' diapers... The very first time I changed the boy's diaper, I'll never forget it. It was like pfft, I had my hand, it was Cindy Cindy. I nicknamed him the fireman. TJ Fireman. Faith fights. Faith fights. Fights facts. The voice of faith, turn his chair. I watched through my life many of you that I know in this room, and I watched Pastor Mark step out, and I remember the property over there, and him driving over here and showing me this building. Well, it was a movie theater, so this is where we're moving. This is where we're going. Faith. Believing. Seeing. Speaking persistently. Standing. Unwavering. You know, the Lord's chair has been a figurative speech today. The Bible does tell us He has a chair. The Bible says Jesus sits enthroned in majesty at God's right hand. There was a man, his name was Stephen, first martyr history of the church. He was all the things that Jesus loved in a voice, a persistent seeker. He was a man broken, had a pliable spirit. He was a man that was clothed in humility. He was a man of tremendous faith. And one day he was framed by a religious crowd. He had a choice. Impress the crowd, use his voice to renounce his faith. Or impress the Lord and use his voice to declare his faith. Of course, he chose the latter. Like a pack of ravenous wolves, the religious crowd savagely attacked him. As they were stoning him, hurling insults at him, his blood began to pool at his feet. Bright red red. Rivers poured from gaping gashes and wounds. As he was losing his consciousness, he looked up. It's amazing. And God gave him a glimpse into how heaven was responding. Jesus' chair hadn't been turned, but Jesus was standing. And I believe Jesus was leading heaven in a standing ovation as the first martyr was being brought home. I don't know if in my life I'll ever have the opportunity to bring Jesus to his feet. But I would like to think that in my life, just like you, that I would bring him pleasure. I know that God hears those that are seeking him persistently. And I know I don't seek him as much as I should. I know that in my life there's times when I've been broken and I have broke before him. I'd like to think that I walk in Authentic humility. But there are times I know that I'm a little more prideful than I should be. And I know that I've stepped out in faith and believed and seen him come through. But I know this, and maybe this doesn't apply to you. But there's been times where i said, God, I do believe. But will you help me with my unbelief? Because God, I'm struggling with this right now. I'm really struggling. And God, what I don't track you, I know I can trust you. But it's hard right now. The voice that turns God's share. Would you bow? Father, I thank you for these wonderful people. I thank you for being in my hometown where I grew up. I thank you for this church that sets right across from the college that I attended where I was able to receive a scholarship. They got me out of Hayward. But Lord, Hayward never has gotten out of me. God, I thank you. These wonderful people. And God, as I look over the congregation this morning, Lord, we're at different places in our journeys. We're at different stops. Some this morning, Lord, are going through a tough time financially and God they're broken God my Bible says in Psalms 34 and 18 that you're close to the brokenhearted, and God you save those that are crushed in their spirit God that precious woman that is here today God that is struggling because of loss God that man, loss of a job. God, those here that are dealing with the loss of a loved one, God, lost opportunity. God, those that are crushed because of life difficulties. God, you're close to them, the broken. Lord, I pray, Lord, for those. That are moved today to want to seek you more diligently, God. Those that are here that want to be persistent, and Lord, when I said that statement, you have no right to anything that you have not pursued, God. Inside them, something went off. It said, "I want to pursue God more." Anybody like that here today? Come on, just wave your hand. Say, "God, I, I want to pursue you more. I, I feel a hunger." this morning in my heart i want to be that persistent seeker hands going up everywhere let me ask you this and i'm not doing this to embarrass anybody i'm just being honest and real with you as i can anybody here today with a broken heart come on you got a broken heart things are going on in your life right now and you feel broken down there's things right now that are coming against you yeah yeah yeah, you can just put it up and put it back down. I see you. anybody else here. Say, Donnie, I'm just being honest today. I'm just keeping it real, man. I got some things right now that have broke my heart. A broken relationship. A broken dream. God, is my witness today. I'm broken, Donnie. I'm broken. I need God to help. Let me ask you this. Is there anybody here today? I'm talking about the honest humility. There's something you have been believing for. And today, you identify with the man in Mark chapter nine. I do believe. God help me with my unbelief. Anybody like that here today? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. God, come on. can we, can we all stand? Come on, let's all stand? you got your sights on something today and you have unwavering faith, I I got a word for you. It might've been eight and a half years, but that girl of mine just finished college and she's 24. Anna, she's 22. And that little boy, DJ is 17. I'm a blessed man, but also I have gone through some tough times but this thing is real it's real it's real God is real and I just in my spirit today feel that some of you that are going through some things figuratively speech speaking God has turned his chair. On that TV show, every one of those chairs, when they turn, it says at the bottom, I want you. God wants you today. God loves you today. God's for you today. So I'm going to ask you, as Tom begins to sing, every one of you, Wherever you're at, whatever your need is, I'm going to ask you to step out. This is your faith. This is your moment. And when you begin to walk down here, you are putting legs by action, by moving, by saying, you know what? I'm the persistent seeker. That's me, Donnie. I'm coming. Donnie, man, when you talked about the broken heart, that's me. God, you turned your chair. I'm coming. If you are here today, hear me. Maybe you got a little much too much pride in your life. Why don't you come down here and humble yourself and say, God, in honest humility, I need you to begin to change my attitude toward people, toward you, and toward others. God, I want to be a person that's humble. Or maybe honest humility is you just saying, God, I do believe. But help me with my unbelief. God, there's some things right now I don't understand. But I'm trusting you, God. As Tom begins to sing, we don't have to be in perfect lines. I just want you to come and stand with me. Come on. Just come on. If you're physically able, just come. As many of you can come. Just come. Just come and stand.